0: everybody my name is Michael Caldwell Here's my boy Petey and uh, we're excited today as we launch our very first podcast coach dad and uh Petey I know you're excited about this one we've been we've been looking forward to it so uh why don't you tell everyone who we're talking to today
1: yeah what's up like Mike said on am Petey today we get to interview the greatest dad in the world my dad uh, his name is Dirk Peterson I'm excited to get to talk with him and just continue to learn from him. He's an awesome dad to me and my two sisters, and now a a grandfather to three and a half grandkids, because we have a baby coming, as you've heard on the intro episode. Uh, He's been a sales professional for the last 40 years, spent time owning his own businesses and gyms, Uh, he's coached multiple football, baseball teams, um, was a strength coach, just a coach of a coach of men a leader of men uh, he's an awesome man an intentional dad and we're pumped to hear from him today so welcome dad <laughs>
0: <laughs> well as we kick this thing off dirt um man first of all thank you for being here yeah, and being a part of it um, man we just want to dig into your story i've known you now for a little bit of time and um and we just want to kind of dig deep into your story so we can hear what you have to say. I know the impact that you've had on Petey. And uh, so with that being said, we'd love to hear how you were raised, where you were born. Just tell us a little about your upbringing.
2: So I was born in Youngstown, Ohio, that famous town. Many great football coaches have come from Youngstown, Ohio. Um, lived there till I was three years old. My uh, My paternal grandparents came over here from Sweden. So my dad is 100% Swedish. Um, my mom, don't know exactly what she was made up of, but it was a little bit of everything. Um, my, uh, we moved to Cleveland when I was three. Lived there till I was 10, then moved to Dayton, so I basically grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, my first exposure to coaching was from my mom's dad, who coached for 40-some years, was a co-founder of Pony League Baseball. His first coach in college, he, he was a two-time All-American football player, Washington Jefferson, was uh, John Heisman. So that's kind of where I grew up. That's where I learned to line fields and pick up trash, <laughs> <laughs> which are good skills to have. You well, know? Life skills yeah, right there. Good <laughs> life skills to have. Um, so I was uh, basically raised in Dayton. Um, my, dad, my dad was awesome. He was, uh, I didn't know my dad's dad. He died when I was three months old, so I never got to know him. But my dad said he was awesome too. Um, and my older brother got to know him, said he was great. They lived a couple doors away from us when I was born. So my older brother was there all the time, uh, at that time. And then, um, moved to Dayton. And when my dad, when I was 12, my dad came down with cancer Mm. and, um, that, that changed things just because for the next, what, 12 years, he fought for life, basically. So one thing I learned from my dad was he was very intentional with faith, um, even as he struggled to— live and work he was very intentional with faith and he's also the one who taught me my love for golf because our thing that we did together was i would meet him for nine holes after work and then we'd eat dinner and just hang out and talk um and we didn't do things really physical but the best day i think i remember with my dad was when we lived in cleveland our backyard was a baseball field like there were space paths worn into the grass you couldn't grow grass and we had a patio, and there was a window right on the backside of the patio that I broke at least twice a month. <laughs> and, and he was always so mad that he was always replacing a window. He came home early from work one night, and we were out back throwing the ball around. He threw it over my head. It bounced on the patio and shattered the window that had just been replaced that day. And I just <laughs> said, that's how it happens. That's exactly how it happens, like that. And uh, I never got in trouble for it after that. That is awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. What uh,
1: What are some things that about your upbringing with your dad specifically that affected the way you raised us?
2: Um, I would say a couple things. Number one, he was very consistent with who he was, and. It was definitely there was a right and wrong. There's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. Uh, There was immediate punishment for disobedience. Um, But there was also a lot of levity in the way he did it, too. Um, And just consistency in things that I saw him do. You know, one of the things I can remember very vividly about my dad was if you got up early enough, you would see him reading the Bible and studying and praying. Um, I didn't like to get up that early at that time of <laughs> my life, so there's a few times when I got up that I did see him there. But there was a consistent pattern. Um, the other consistent pattern was uh, we were involved in church. We were involved, you know, in just about everything at church. I was in the choir as a young kid. That's probably why I still like to sing, even though y'all tell me not to sing. He's a good singer for those (laughs) listening. We'll get a little little something Um, at the end here. But I think his the way he treated people, always treated people like he wanted to be treated, always looked out for others, um, helped people that couldn't help themselves, Uh, just saw him with an open, giving heart. I mean, even when he was really sick. Uh, I just saw him with an open giving heart and thinking about others more than himself. Is there anything specifically that he did or like
1: practiced or sayings he had that you carried over into raising your kids?
2: Um, well, there's a couple things I could think of. One, one saying was probably, uh, I tended to get in trouble and he would always say, it's never too late to do the right thing. Um, And in the neighborhood I grew up in in Cleveland, there's a lot, kind of like here. You guys were, parents are tight. And if you misbehaved at another parent's house, we got spanked there. (laughs) And then you got spanked when you came home. And um, I just remember one time vividly, he made me go apologize to the parents for having to spank me. Mm -hmm. After I'd been spanked at home. (laughs) So I got spanked there, I got spanked at home, and I had to go back and apologize for them having to spank me. So it was about doing the right thing, uh, acting the right way, Um, you know, looking someone in the eye, shaking their hand, Uh, and just remember going to meet people with him, and there was an expectation of how you talk to people, and just your mannerisms, and how you gave people respect by how you treated them. It goes a long way it goes a real long way so you mentioned coaching
0: it sounds like it's in your DNA um, at what point did you start coaching um, whether that was with your daughter or daughters or with PD when did you start actually coaching
2: so I think I actually started coaching well I actually started coaching legitimately in 1996 um at CVCA, where Andrew went to school, PD went to school, so people are confused. Um, it was a private Christian school that didn't have a football program. And uh, uh, Ray Kurosha, who was our first head coach there, came to me. We went to church together, played softball, basketball together. And he knew my background as an athlete and said, um, hey, we're looking to start a football program. Do you want to be on a committee to help get it started? So there was four of us who... Um, we're on the committee to start the football program there. And then after that, I coached from that year through 2012 when we moved to Atlanta. And then after that, started coaching travel baseball, I coached that for eight years. And then in the meantime, we also, um, I got my CSCS. I'm a certified strength conditioning specialist. We started a training center. Uh, we're the strength coaches for the Cleveland Force professional soccer team and uh, we had hundreds of ath- hundreds of athletes come through there. Um, I coached, I trained. At one time, I had like 17 different, either soccer teams or baseball teams that I trained as teams, plus all the individual athletes that we came through there. So
0: I gotta imagine, of all those athletes that came through, not all of them had a very good life at home. How would you say that you impacted their lives as as their coach?
2: So you know one of the things is we, take a step back as we had a program there's a couple of guys I was working with at the time. Uh, Wade Salem was the one who's he's out in Arizona now He's got a, an organization called Character Matters At that time um, we had an organization called Coaching for Life. Wade was with fellowship of Chris, Christian athletes. And one of the things we saw, the data that was out there at the time is if you take every athlete, male and female across the country, any sport, 14 years and under only 35% of them ever play a high school sport. And then the numbers just go down dramatically all the way to professional. But the one thing they have to do, everyone has to grow up to be a man or a woman. And then when we started looking into the reasons and the research why they quit sports, it's because coaches were just breaking their hearts apart. Like instead of coaching somebody up, they were tearing the person down as a person, So our whole goal was how do you coach the heart of an athlete, right? And how do you build that athlete, build that person up? Because at the end of playing sport, you have to go be a mom or a dad or uh, an employee or a brother or sister. Mm -hmm. You have to be a person. You have to be a man or a woman. So that was the focus, and that was what drove me in coaching. And the way we started with that is we did something called Word of the Week, and we started with the Fruit of the Spirit and just defining each of the fruit of the spirit, which we called character qualities, so that you could build that character quality, coach that character quality. First one was love, sacrificing yourself to meet the needs of others. So if you think about that, that's what Christ did for us on the cross, right? He sacrificed himself to meet the need that we could not meet ourselves for our salvation. In the same way, if you look at a team sport, I don't care what position you play in what sport, in a team sport, you've got to give up yourself for the team to be better. And that principle, if we we're—if I'm coaching love, that goes over into life too. It's not only in the sport, it goes over into life. So I think that was my passion to get started in coaching. The other reason I wanted to start coaching, and specifically at CVCA, number one, I wanted a place for him to play uh, when he got there. And number two, My thoughts were I wanted to impact those who would impact him because the biggest impact outside of parents on kids is the friends that they hang out with. So, if you can impact the people that they're going to hang out with, you got a better community around your own child.
1: What did it look like for you to interact, and I guess specifically with my friends, my teammates? Um, to try and care for them while you were caring for me, my sisters, and what it looked like to intentionally care for your players—those that you know they they maybe didn't have great dads or great um, moms—but you were intentional, welcoming them into our home, inviting them, their parents to church with us, like kind of walk through that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting. one of the things I learned early on is parents will give you full run with their kids. Once they realize that you care about their kids as much as they do, and you can give their kids something that they can't give them. Um, So especially in like travel organizations, you're coaching the parents as much as you're coaching the kids. And I spent a lot of time with the parents, Um, you know, and For me, it was easy to welcome those kids in because those kids on those teams were very welcoming. They were very much wanting, you know, to be wanted and part of something like that. Um, I found the parents did too. I don't don't know if you remember this, but when we went to Cooperstown when you were 12, we had like a 10-minute devotional every day. No one knew it was a devotional, but it was on what does the heart of a competitor look like? And we started using... With like uh, Acts nine twenty four, right, uh, and and every every runner runs in a race, but only one gets a prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. That was kind of the foundation of the week. And towards the end of the week, I'm sitting outside the barracks with one of the, a couple of the other fathers who coached with me, and one of the dads look at me. He goes, "Man, this stuff every morning. Where do you get this shit?" <laughs> <laughs> and just like I said. Tim, it's in the Bible. No shit. <laughs> this is in the Bible. I said, everything you need in life is in the Bible. And it's just, it was kind of an eye-opening moment for him. And then we did some things like <clears throat> we went to, our church had something going to the Akron Arrows game, and uh, we went to see uh, Andre Thornton, Big Thunder, who is a, I don't know if you know who he is in Cleveland folklore. He's a big-time player. And so he spoke at our church. Um, and then so I, I just told all the moms, hey, uh, the dads and sons, were all going to this and we're going to the game. Moms are not invited. And um, so Andre gave a invitation and one dad and one son, you know, gave their lives to Christ that night. And to me, that's what it's about is to opening up, you know, people to. You know, Christ is everywhere. It's not just in the church. Christ is in life. And you can see it in sport, you need to play sport hard because to really compete, you need three things. You need your opponent at their best. You need to be at your best. You need the referees at the best if you want to compete at the highest level. So I'm praying that my opponent is going to play their best game. I want to play my best game, and I want that umpire referee playing his best game. Then I know I can compete. I'm playing at my best. Um, and it's that kind of mindset and that attitude. and you can bring the players along, really easy, but you can bring the parents along. And in the travel situation, that's really even more important than I think in the school situation. And so kind of sticking with this,
1: I, one the probably one of the biggest things I remember is when I think we were 12 or 13. We had a ceremony where you gave us a certificate of manhood. And like, I think for me, that was a turning point in my mind of and kind of in my heart of, okay, like my dad looks at me in a different way. Now I'm expected to be, to act a certain way. My mom should look at me in a different way. What led you to create a path toward manhood for me, for my buddies, to hold us to that standard. I mean, same guys through high school are still my best friends today. I still talk to every day are guys that we walked through that path of manhood, like toward manhood together. And you expected us to be men from the time we were 13 and it looked differently than it does now. But what led you to that? Why, why the path of intentional creating, creating men, where'd you get that idea?
2: Yeah, so probably from a couple different areas. Number one, if you look in other cultures, like other cultures really have a specific pathway when the community says you're now a man. This is now what's expected. Our culture really doesn't do that. Okay, you're 18, you're out on your own, but what does it look like to be a man? So, um, you know, I read a couple books during that time, one, Wild at Heart. The other was Raising a Modern Day Night, which really talked about um, having ceremonies like this and taking, taking kids together, not one by one, but together through different stages and then having a ceremony and say, okay, you're here now. This is where you're here. This is where you're here. And I usually use tournaments to take you guys through things like that. Cooperstown was a big one. Um, but I would be up with the kids before anyone else and we'd have breakfast together. We'd take, we'd go through devotional type stuff and I'd take them through stories and different, um, life expectancies. And then we would go to the, you know, every day would be the next phase of that. So to me, I kind of lost some of that opportunity with my dad just because of how he ill he was during that time. So to me, this is a way to set that path. And I, I think everybody needs a defining moment or defining process in their life, right? We all have something that defines us. So how can we make that process? And you define the people around you too. They help define who you are. Just like you said, you're still buddies with those guys. They define who you grew up to be, right? But it's the process that you go through and the expectations that are set. If no expectations ever set on you, what are you going to live up to?
1: Whatever you think you should.
2: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, whatever is the newest fad. But if you have if you have a foundation, you have expectations, and this is who you are, right? Um, you know, it's like Alexander the Great has. There's a great story about him is he was riding through the troops one time and came up on a young soldier misbehaving, and he stopped and from his steed looked down and said, soldier, what's your name? And he said, Alexander. Alexander the Great looked up and said, change your behavior or change your name. What he's saying is your name means something in who you are, right? So it's helping build your identity what happens with a lot of young men today is they don't have their identity built, right? There's it, what you said. You're just going to go with whatever's comes to you. If you don't have a foundation, you don't have an identity built for you.
0: You remember the ages of the different stages that you celebrated as you raised them towards manhood?
2: Yeah. So 12, 12 to me is a big age right then like <clears throat> right now your, your oldest is seven so now are some foundational years as you get in that 10 to 12 stage that's when you're really starting to set the path mm-hmm. right and then as they get into high school even more so you're really setting the stone in there and I think the key is other men around them like I think the key for you was Coach Gross, Coach Tiley, guys like that, having other men around them that are putting the same thing in. Yeah. Sometimes in the same way, sometimes in a different way, which is great. But it's the same foundational principles. It's the same faith. And I think that, and I think you would agree with this, I think that helps solidify things in your mind that there's other men building the same foundation
1: yeah i would agree with that and i i remember when my wife and i were engaged someone told us that consistency breeds intimacy and that was like something that always stuck with me and i think that idea of consistency in this in foundation like the consistency and me receiving that from multiple men i respected and people pouring into the same groups of friends like there was so much consistency in that, that it grew my desire to want to be a man, whether I was failing miserably at that or what I thought like succeeding in certain areas of my life, there was consistency in people that were pouring into me. And I think that like started with you a hundred percent. Um, but I, yeah, I, I would agree with you. In that. Yeah, it's,
2: you know, and it's, the other thing is we're all going to mess up. We're all going to make mistakes. Um, it's like one of the funniest things i think in baseball you know we had i had all these words to find out that i defined for the guys and one of them is gentleness which means emotional control and he knows i can get kind of emotional when i'm catching coaching and um i was kind of intense during a baseball game one time and one of his teammates, Mac Demore, just looked at me and tapped me on the side and said, hey, coach, where's your gentleness? And at <laughs> first I had to count to 10 because I just wanted to backslap him. <laughs> and then I realized, man, he's right. You know, he's listening. <laughs> yeah, he called me out and he's right too. And I had to take a 10 count and, you know, look at him and said, you're right. Thank you. Um, and we all that's what we all need is as men, as coaches, as dads, as we need someone when we take that wrong step or say that wrong thing and say, hey, dude, you're out of line.
0: Um, we'll switch gears here a little bit. We've talked a lot about pathway to manhood. And um, you've got two daughters. I've got a daughter. Petey's got one and one on the way. Was it different in the way that you led your daughters compared oh. to how you – 100%. In what ways?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, um, well, just think about, you know, you're, you're both married, right? So um, think about how you treat your wife different than you treat your friends. It's God made us male and female, right? He made us different. We're going to get kicked off the internet. They they react to things different than than boys do, so the way you speak to a girl has to be in a different tone than the way you speak to a boy. In my mind, anyway, in my experience, um, you are her protector. You are your daughter's protector until she gets married. You are her protector. Your son and your sons are her protector. Right. And you're trying to teach your son to be that you're not teaching your daughter to be that you're teaching your daughter to be a woman of God, not, um, and, and you're her protector. So you you know, you're going to set guidelines down mm-hmm. and, you know, for my daughters, anybody that wanted to ask them out to a dance had to come speak to me face to face. And there was one kid who called and me on the phone and, we've known him since he was four years old there in high school. He called me on the phone and I told him, you know, this is a face-to-face conversation. So tell me when you can come over. And that's just, my belief is, you know, somebody wants to date your daughter, you better be checking that young man out because he's responsible that night. You know, as I've always told him, something happens, the boy goes down, the girl goes free. Right. So, Dude, if you're, t- you're taking this responsibility on, this is my expectation. And I think <clears throat> to build that expectation in your daughters that I got you, and I'm going to make sure everybody else respects you too. So the tone is going to be different. It's going to be gentler for the most part. I mean, there's times I've yelled, I've had to go back and ask forgiveness, probably from all my kids um, at some point, but... Um, I think you probably feel this as a father of a daughter. You get in a more protective mode than you do with a, a son. Absolutely. So it's, it is a different feeling. It's a different mindset with a daughter and a different expectation. And um, you're her protector until you hand her over to a man to be married. You always hear about... Fathers, are supposed to be an example
0: of the man that you want your daughter to marry. Mm -hmm. What was some of the ways that you exemplified that in a way that?
2: Yeah. So I think number one, I think number one, you got to let your kids know that um, it's mom and I first before you guys. So the most important relationship in our household is mine and my wife's, and then there's you guys. So I think that's. That's it. I've got to I've got to date my wife. I've got to show her the love and the way that I want a man to show my daughter's love, the way I want my son to show his wife love, um, respect at all times. doesn't mean we're never going to have disagreements here. We're going to have a disagreement, but we're not going to I'm not going to yell at her. I'm not going to demean her. Um, You know, it's like I've always said is. This may be your mother, but this is my wife. So you're going to respect my wife. And I think it's showing them, number one, it's just, it's me and her before you guys always. What did it look like kind of in
1: that light, <clears throat> bringing like the idea of loving mom and raising us as a team what were the similarities between coaching and raising or raising us as kids, leading our family as the coach of our family team, our family union? What, how did you see that in a similar light? Or did you?
2: Yeah, it's, it's all similar. I'm, uh, you know, number one, not every athlete's the same, right? Not every one of your kids is the same. Every each athlete is motivated in different ways. Everybody is gifted in different ways. Everybody responds in different ways. So it's, it's really learning that individual. So like when you go to make a plan for your sons, for your daughters, no two plans are going to look exactly alike because they're different, right? So the way you treat each one of your kids is going to be the same principles, but I may talk to each one of you in a different way and tell you the same thing in a different way, because that's the way you hear it the best. And to tell you the truth, you learn that over time. It's not something that you, you just pick up and eventually you're like, this is how this one gets it. Same way in coaching. It's like, this is how this athlete responds. There there are some guys who want to be just yelled at. They want you behind them, Not, not yelled at, yelled to. I don't ever want to yell at an athlete. That means I'm bringing them down. I want to yell to an athlete. Um, and there's some that just want you know, quiet encouragement. Mm-hmm. Come on, here's what we got to do. You can do this. you can do this. It's the same way with your kids. And I think it starts with knowing that the kids know that mom and I are number one, we're the team. We're co coaches We have different gifts, different responsibilities but the same authority. So you can't go, well, dad said, no, let's go ask mom. You know, because <laughs> the first thing we would always say is, what'd your, what'd your mom say? What'd your dad say? Right. So you got to be coherent, same authority, different ways you deal out. That's awesome.
1: Um, I know we're, uh, we're getting towards the end here. And, I I wanted to see if you could leave us with something. I know we're kind of in this phase of life where we have young kids kind of in the thick of it, Um, but we're going to soon be walking into the, I think, the real thick of fatherhood where you go from uh, training your kids to really coaching them and teaching them and digging into real life and hard things. But over the next, I mean, you know, you've been my dad 32 years. So over the next 20, 30 years, is there any piece of advice you would give to us as dads or as men that are coaching our families and leading and loving our wives?
2: Yeah, number one, be open to learn. Um, I'm still learning things. Just be open to learn, listen, listen more than you talk. Now, at the ages your kids are, you're very directive in your parenting. So, but your parenting's going to change to more of a coaching. Number one, really listen to your kids and find out what drives them. Um, I'll, I'll give a great example. When we had the training center, we had a kid coming there who really did not want to be there, and. Other kids that knew him said, man, th- this kid is a really good musician. And I sat down and talked with him. And he's like, I do not want to play baseball, but that's my dad's dream. And I sat down and talked with his dad. I said, listen, I think you need to understand where your son's coming from. He doesn't want to be here. And his dad thought he was going to get a Division One scholarship for baseball. And I said, he doesn't even want to play, but his dad was pushing it. And all this guy's friends are going, he- he's awesome with music. So I think sometimes as dads, we get our own desires for our kids in the way. Let your kids' desires and their gifts shine forward and then come alongside them and help them build that. And then as they get older, you become more of a coach. I think one of the things I remember with my dad is as I was getting older, um, situations would come up and he wouldn't tell me what to do. He would say, Um, I think these are your options. I think this is what would happen with each option. What do you want to do? I think it's teaching our kids to critically think and critically um, determine what's the best thing for their life based through the foundation of Scripture, right? But we're going to have to let them all make their own decisions. We can't. We can't make those decisions for them. But it's giving that that guidance now and then building on that as you go, keeping an open ear and open mind and prayer. I mean, it's a lot of prayer. And it's praying with others for your kids, not just yourselves. So I think that you two have each other and some other men around you is phenomenal. That's That's the key is keeping other men around you and keeping an open conversation with your wife about what's going on with the kids.
1: Mike, you got anything else?
0: Um, I did have one last question. You've got three kids that are adults. They're all on their own. They live in North Carolina. Y'all are in Georgia. Real quick. How do you still stay intentional
2: with them, even though they're older and Distance. That's that's a great question. I think um I would say my wife is very intentional and I'm probably I'm probably on her coattails for some part of it. I try to be intentional about a few things. Um that's probably the most difficult part because they all have their lives mm-hmm. and they all have their busy schedules. So I think you know we have to Like one of the things we decided to do is try to be here at least once a month or once every other month. Um, So we've made that commitment. So I think it's a commitment to time. Um, Because other than that, it's you could let six to eight months go by and not even have a conversation. So I think it's continual conversations. But I think face to face is important in any relationship. That's great. Yeah, and I think like
1: you're awesome at that. Like I feel like you're intentional still with me. I know like I mean I called you last week and I was freaking out <laughs> about something just super stressed and overwhelmed and you're able to just pray with me and talk through life. So I think that like having you on here for our first podcast is I'm trying not to cry, but just it's it's awesome. Um, an honor. Honor to be your son, uh, to follow <laughs> in your footsteps. Um, I think I've I've always wanted to be like you, uh, and especially one day too. <laughs> <laughs> just especially in the way that I father my kids, because I I really felt like you did an awesome job.
2: Um, I'll tell you one thing with my dad is um, I never left him or never hung up the phone where he didn't say I love you. Yeah. Hmm. I think your kids long to hear that. They long to hear that. I think I don't know if you remember this, but I told you when you were younger that, hey dude, I don't care where we're at, I'm always gonna hug you, so just get used to it. <laughs> and you know. Never bothered me. It, yeah, even through high school and all that, I'm like, Hey, it's just gonna happen. So hmm. don't don't run away. It, it,
0: leaves a huge impact yeah for sure
2: it does I, I mean I still remember my dad just saying hey by the way I love you it, it's a huge impact because it, uh, you know I grew up with kids that never heard that mm. and th- there's a big hole in, in men's lives that have never heard that absolutely well we're thankful that
0: uh, you ever spent time with us yeah man. This is fun. Walk yeah. us through your story. You know, because look, the reason why we're doing all this, Pete and I are not perfect dads, and we just want to learn from people that we identify as awesome dads, yeah. learn from them, and share it with people.
2: There's only one perfect father, and it ain't any fun <laughs> that's true. That's true. So thank you for being Yeah. Part
1: thanks, Yeah, I appreciate it. It was awesome.